Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here at Rhino and the most important announcement of the day is of course that it is the great Steve Perry's birthday. <laughs> uh, I think the folks in North Mississippi might uh, might have a bone to pick with that. Why is I that? I think their their top headline of the day is it's above freezing. <laughs> That's true. Are we going to see a bit of a thaw? That is the question. Well, uh, yes and no. Kind of. It's going to thaw, and then it's going to rain. And it's going to be warm, but you're going to have a double dose of wetness. In North Mississippi, because you got all that ice and snow melting. Man. And then the the line of storms is crossing the river as we speak. Oh, okay. I thought tomorrow was supposed to be the big start of the big wetness. Is that it's coming to the, today? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, central Mississippi will probably see it a little later into the night, like late night, talking about 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night tonight for central Mississippi. But western Mississippi, especially in the north, it's right on the river. And right. then on on the coast and in southern Mississippi, I want to say it starts early in the morning. Yeah. They don't have quite as as much to worry about, but there's also more severe weather the farther south you go. Okay. So, yeah. want to keep your head on a swivel for the weather tomorrow. But, yeah, today with the thaw and the rain, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Well, this is uh, – the so-called El Nino year, right, from a weather weather pattern perspective, and that calls for uh, mild temperatures, right, during the winter, and uh, in in wet conditions, and that's what we are certainly up against right now. Having come off of a rather frigid week, as we did last week, I mean, the schools in North Mississippi, right, have been closed. I think there's even still some closures today. I saw a list earlier this morning, and I I didn't double-check whether or not those were closures or just delayed starts. But, yeah, they've still got ice on some roadways. Man. Well, let's hope that we can get this this weather interruptions behind us. So today that legislature is going to be meeting again. They've got all their committee assignments complete. 
everybody knows what they're supposed to be working on, so I suspect we'll start seeing some legislation filed. Some already has been filed, I believe. But, of course, last week the focus was on the uh, big project slated uh, to be constructed and to go into operation in Marshall County, up there on the border with Tennessee. $1.9 billion. The governor called a special session for the legislature to approve an incentive package. That deal did get approved. And then there was a huge announcement, as you know, last Thursday, $1.9 billion, 2,000 jobs at an average pay of $66,000. I think largely it is has been received as positive news for the state of Mississippi. There are a few detractors that um, oppose this project, and, and I guess not the project, but they, they oppose the state providing incentives, and they, they oppose the, or they express concerns, shall we say, about this project uh, involving the manufacture of batteries for commercial electric vehicles. It is a joint venture by three domestic companies. They will own a combined 90% of this entity. And then a Chinese technology company will own 10%. Some have expressed their concerns about China's participation. It's a Chinese private company, a a technology company, that has expertise in the manufacture of electric vehicle batteries. And some have expressed their concern about that. And uh, I know that I've seen that some, even on the Republican side, the folks that would consider themselves... Republican slash conservative um, have they've shown their concerns about there being no requirement for the company to meet certain targets of uh, employment of Mississippi citizens that the company is not required uh, in in any legal way that that to meet the their commitments to receive the full benefits, the full incentives being offered by the state, that their staff must consist of a certain percentage of Mississippians. There was an amendment offered in the House by Minority Leader Robert Johnson, who was on the program last week, but it it did not pass. That would have required seventy percent of the company's workforce be comprised of Mississippi citizens. But this deal's done. The legislature has approved it. The governor signed off on it. The special session signing died last Thursday. An announcement was made. And so I think we'll see shovels in the ground in the short term. Has the governor signed it yet? Well, maybe he hasn't. I know the legislature signed he died. He made the announcement. Maybe officially he hasn't signed it. You could be right. I, I haven't checked I just, the status of the bill. You would think with something like that they would have a, a big yeah. big deal, in the office. kind of thing. Yeah. I just haven't seen that. I haven't, you're right. Uh, I haven't seen it as well, but I think it's imminent. Otherwise, he oh, would yeah. not have, have, have conducted the announcement. Well, I mean, by rules, the deadline for him to sign it would be... Ten days, Wednesday? right? Is that right? I can't remember, but remember, if he sits on it, it automatically becomes law. Yeah. His choice is to sign, veto, take no action. Which would be kind of weird for him to 
cheerlead it and then not sign it. I can't imagine that. I mean, I'd, uh, so I haven't checked to see whether or not he's officially signed it. So I apologize if I got a little ahead there. But I, I can't see that being the case, honestly. He's been touting this as a major win for the state of Mississippi. I agree. I think it is as well. So that's what's going down. I'm also hearing rumblings. I was at the Capitol last week hearing a little rumblings about the legislature taking up the citizen-initiated ballot measure process. As you know, we presently don't have one in the state of Mississippi. It was invalidated by the Supreme Court a couple of years ago on a lawsuit filed by Madison Mayor Mary Hawkins. And, uh, and the Supreme Court agreed with her contention that, yeah, we really can't make the math work here because our Constitution which provides for the ballot initiative process, reference five congressional districts we ain't got before. So that math doesn't work. We had five when that provision was inserted in the Constitution, but we don't anymore, and it was short-sighted. Or it could have been intentional. Many believe it was intentional, so that if we ever went to a, uh, a different number of districts, that it would invalidate the ballot initiative process. But I'm certainly hearing that it's something that's going to be addressed this week. It may or may not. There's also another large economic development project that would require uh, legislative approval, and I suspect the governor would call a special session for that. That uh, could happen this week. It it might be put off another week, uh, provided that all the uh, the status of all the various loose ends in the negotiating process. We'll see where all that goes. But it's uh, I think it's exciting time in the state of Mississippi. On the national scene, you know it by now, Governor Ron DeSantis announced that he is no longer a candidate for president of these United States. He withdrew ahead of the New Hampshire primary, which is scheduled for tomorrow, he made that announcement yesterday. I thought that, honestly, his uh, his remarks were good. I, I think that the governor just sees that he said this. He said, we don't see a path, and if we thought that there was anything else we could do to change the outcome favorably for him, we'd stay in. We don't see that. So it literally is down to the so-called two-horse race featuring former President Donald Trump and, of course, Governor of South Carolina, the former governor, Ambassador Nikki Haley. That's what we're going to have tomorrow in New Hampshire, the first primary, Republican primary, in the country at this point. The former president in all the polls leads the ambassador by a significant margin. I think, honestly, that will hold when we get the results tomorrow night. We are stepping aside for a break today. By the way, you got the duo of Rhino and I today. We are guestless. We had a late-minute, a last-minute con- uh, cancellation. So it's us for a couple hours. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
The great Eric Clapton, Derek and the Dominoes, Layla. We are back in the Element Well studio on the C Spire text line. That's 601, pardon me, 879-4395. Chris from Oxford says, Gerard, this is my thinking and mine alone. Thought about this over the weekend. I figured out how Democrats are going to get Biden not to run. They're going to impeach him in the House end of this month, and they're going to get a few Democrats to cave in the Senate to complete the process, let me know your thoughts. No, I don't see that happening. I think that would be political peril for any Democrats in the Senate that would hop on board. To So what would happen in the Senate in that case is that they would be convicting the president. Uh, the House impeaches. They transmit that to the Senate, and then the Senate votes whether or not to convict, in which case he could be removed from office. Let's see, I believe, Rhino, the threshold is two-thirds, correct, in the Senate for a conviction. Two-thirds. Is that right? He's looking it up. I I don't think it's a simple majority, put it that way. I think there's a little bit higher bar for um, conviction in the Senate. Yeah, two-thirds vote to convict. Two-thirds. So that's 66, Chris. That that means you'd have to peel off 16... Democrats? I don't see it. I really don't. I I just can't imagine. I think that that, again, would be a huge political liability for them to vote to convict the president, which happens to be a member of their party. I I don't think so. Now, I'm hearing, I have said before that I think it's a done deal, Biden's the man. I'm hearing more analysis that makes sense. Uh, Now, I believe that's the case, barring any un- unforeseen circumstances that might render him just unable to run. I think that's where we are. But we shall see. Uh, the The process of awarding uh, the nomination on the Democrat side is a bit different than it is on... Uh, it's a delegates-based system, a bit different than it is on the Republican side with the so-called superdelegates that are not bound by the outcomes at the state level. So we'll see where all that goes. There's some time. I mean, that's how Hillary overcame the groundswell of the Bernie bros. It's true. It's absolutely true. And that's so they changed that, and they, they do seem to be more in concert. I'll say that. And nobody seems to want to speak up about the obvious, which is that the guy's just not really fit to run again, in my view. But we'll see where all that goes. Appreciate the the text. Sprinkle in Lula at the bridge at the river right now on the ceasefire text line. So that's what you said. Right Rhino. at the river. Yeah, it's crossing over. Now, a lot of times it'll stall a little bit. We'll rain in the fronts when they get to the river, but then they push over. And then I think we're going to get a soaking, is what it looks like. Dave sure says, sure would lo- love to see southwest uh, Mississippi get something like this. You know, the two highest unemployment counties are in southwest Mississippi. Uh, and this is Dave from Monticello. So something to keep in mind about economic development, uh, large projects like this, it starts locally. They don't start at the state level. They start locally. The key to attracting investment like this 
is to have a, a really good local economic development team. Uh, another key aspect is to have sites that are ready. I mean, the cycle times that companies seek now have have contracted significantly. They want to be able to put a shovel in the ground when the ink is dry on uh, the package so that they can get going. And so having a site, especially for something like this, you got the Chickasaw Trails site in Marshall County, showed real well for this project. And the local team did an outstanding job of working this project for quite some time. Even though we just heard about it last week, uh, it's been in their job jar for a, an extended period of time, and they've worked it diligently. And, of course, they're competing with other states as well. So the key is we need good local economic development teams. We need sites. Now, you've seen that the governor has uh, promoted the idea of state providing funds across the state uh, to establish these sites, to develop these sites. I do absolutely believe, having worked just in a board capacity in economic development and, and seen what the mega site in Madison has been able to achieve, there's no doubt that that is just a huge, huge factor for these companies when they're they're looking to to make investments. So that's the key. Um, yeah, I know MDA hears of these projects first, but look, when they hear this is day, but when they hear about them. I can assure you that they've already got the company's already got their eyes on something, uh, and and they're they're already leaning in that direction. And again, you you've got to work within the company's constraints and their requirements. Usually, that's done in the form of what's called an RFI, request for information, and uh, they they take into consideration a number of factors, as you can imagine, and it it differs from. From deal to deal, from project to project, by its nature, uh, what their specific needs and priorities are. So, for the most part, MDA doesn't say, "Okay, you're going here." Uh, for the most part, that that uh, those are decisions made by the company. They uh, they get exposed to uh, numerous potential sites. and then the company digs into that. But honestly, they've already done that. I promise before. Um, it gets to that point. Mo says it will not surprise me if we do not get a ballot initiative measure through the legislature this year. I'd handicap it at 50-50 at this point, Mose. I really would. Again, I think you're going to see action on that in the House in the short term. We'll see what happens in the Senate where it, it has been met with more resistance. The sticking point, again, has been the number of signatures required. To certify a measure, I think we're going to see some work around that. And um, ultimately, I, I think we have, a, again, a 50-50 shot, maybe maybe 60-40 in favor of. But we'll certainly be tracking it. Mike from Madison says DeSantis suspended his campaign. They all suspend as opposed to withdraw in case they decide to jump back in. For example, if President Trump drops out, they can jump back in. Yeah, I think that's just semantics, Mike, honestly. Uh, even if they said withdrawal, that doesn't mean they could, couldn't jump back in. I don't think there's anything that precludes that. 
main thing is you just discontinue raising money and spending money in general. Now, I, I believe the governor will head back to his home state of Florida. He's already there, and he'll finish out his term. Now, he, he is uh, term limited. This would be his, his uh, final term, as just as the same case as in Mississippi, two terms for the governor. I think he's got his sights set on something after that. I really do. And then, of course, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat waiting for a Mr. Trump's selection of a vice presidential running mate. I don't really honestly believe that that will make a great deal of difference one way or another, just in terms of presidential politics. And and when you when you drill down into how the outcome of a presidential election is determined, and again, this is something we've shared before, you got 15 or so counties in four states, and it's the independents in those counties that really dictate who wins. I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I know the Democrats are trying to really elevate the issue of abortion quite a bit. They feel like that that, uh, that is what propelled them to uh, an, an outcome in the midterms where they did not suffer the losses in the House and Senate that were predicted and what typically happens in midterms. It really wasn't that uh, big of a hit for them. And I, and, I, and I do think a lot of people in the, in the wake of the Roe v. Wade decision, the Dobbs decision, believe that that played in to that. Speaking of Steve Perry... Appreciate that, Rhino. I actually believe that showcases his magnificent voice maybe better than any other tune he ever recorded. That's a solo tune, Foolish Heart. Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break. We're in the Element Well studio. FM. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. This is the first single released from the song. Steve Perry's birthday is 75. Man, I'm feeling old now, so you'll know. And the boys are going to be 
kicking off their Freedom Tour 2024 at the Gulf Coast Coliseum February 9th. Looking forward to that. I know lots of folks in Mississippi. Right around the corner. Yeah, going to be headed down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to enjoy Journey. Going to be a, a great one. Looking forward to it. Appreciate that, Rhino. K-Dog and Wiggins asks, why are we excited about an EV battery plant when EVs aren't selling and China owns 10% of the plant? Well, let's, uh, let's explore. It's, it's, a, it's a legitimate question. It's one that we've heard, uh, Rhino, quite a bit since the announcement. Never have so many been so unhappy about something so good. So here's why. First, it's a $1.9 billion investment, second largest capital investment for a single economic development project in the history of the great state of Mississippi. Second, the company has committed to the largest payroll, $132 million a year, million, coming out of that one plant, in order to receive the full benefit of the state's $350 million investment, which includes about $120 million of infrastructure. That's roads, bridges, water, etc. So here's the thing. I know everybody is, is uh, kind of focused on the viability of EVs. I hear you. I agree. Right now, they, they don't appear to be ready for prime time. I've said that. At least a thousand times, if I'm not right now in the last few months, and I know you concur. Does that mean we just abandon abandon the development of this novel technology? Man, if that were the case through the years, there's a lot of things we all enjoy today that are common, that are honestly irreplaceable in our lives, that would have never materialized because you just gave up. Oh, that's a problem we can't solve. But most importantly, that's not even an issue, and here's why. Because the viability here of this project is not a risk that the state is taking. Do I need to repeat that? The state has little to no risk here. Here's why. Because there are very strict provisions which accompany the $350 million of incentives the state is offering, requiring the company to achieve certain targets. Two, primarily, investing $1.9 billion in hiring 2,000 people with an average pay of $66,000 by 2029. If they fail to achieve those targets, then there will be a clawback of what the state has provided in terms of grants, donations, and infrastructure improvements of $350 million on a pro rata basis. So the state's not taking a risk on the viability of EVs. Now, you say, well, what if the company goes belly up and it can't meet those obligations? Well, there are three domestic companies which own a combined 90% of this joint venture, Daimler, Cummins, and Packard. I, I looked it up. They have a combined net worth of $110 billion. This is 1.5% of their combined net worth. If they go bankrupt, you know what? We ain't going to care. The world just collapsed. 
These are the folks who make Freightliner, Peterbilt, and Kenworth tractors. Uh, They're pretty smart people. Now, the use of electric power for commercial vehicles, though this is of no concern to the state, I want to point that out again, no concern, because it doesn't matter. But the use of electric power for commercial vehicles and using commercial vehicles, electric commercial vehicles for the transport of goods, I think happens to be a lot more viable than typical consumer-owned passenger vehicles. It's a much more structured schedule and application where they can plan around charging stations, schedules, and so forth. Whereas, if you think about it, when you're driving your personal vehicle, you all you, you often can't. I mean, it's very random. It's, um, it's impromptu. Whereas commercial trucking and travel, a little different. So there are lots of companies that are seeking to replace their fleet with commercial electric vehicles because of the cost. And I know everybody will start throwing out, I get it, all the, the reasons why they're not viable. I, I just think that we, we mere mortals, we always look at problems from the perspective of today. Whereas innovators in society, they always think about how can we solve that problem? And then they do, and you know what happens? They get wealthy solving those problems. And But they just, they're wired different. They have a vision you and me <laughs> and mere mortals don't have. They're visionaries that just, they're blessed with these talents. So, uh, but again, the state's not taking that risk. If this project did not incorporate strict clawback provisions, if this was a joint venture of startup companies that relied on the state's $350 million here just uh, for a viable opportunity, I'd be opposed to it. But that's not the case. And uh, I, I said last week, Rhino, before they even released those provisions, I was confident that the MDA, our legislature, our, gov- our governor, uh, w- would uh, act prudently and thoughtfully and responsibly. And I believe that's what's happened here. So this is a time to celebrate. Again, it's not for us to decide whether or not EVs have any future viability. And I, I, I do not support the federal government pushing the time frame the way they have. I don't support that. Uh, I just think that that's too much meddling. But the fact is, there are a lot of people that are looking to wean themselves off the cost of of uh, fossil fuels-powered vehicles. I think we're a long way from getting to that point where they're more practical and mainstream, but I'm confident that innovators and mostly American ingenuity will resolve many of the problems that render present-day EVs impractical, uh, and and eventually we'll see something that is uh, more widely acceptable and practical for use. And, And again, when you're not giving up anything, and when it costs the same or less 
that's when you see widespread adoption. To same or less relative to alternatives with what we're all accustomed to. I'm I'm not at the point where they make sense for me, but I'm not ruling out that there won't be a time in the future where many of those objections that I and many others have would would be resolved. Sure, if it can save money and I don't give up anything, I don't know why I would would object to that. That that wouldn't be prudent either from a decision making perspective. So. Overall, it's a good deal. And I'll, I'll explain it this way. You give me a dollar, I agree to return 100 over five years. If I fall short of that commitment, I pay your dollar back on a pro rata basis. So essentially, if I sit on your dollar and do nothing, never put a shovel in the ground for five years and never hire the first person, I'm giving you your dollar back. And I've got the balance sheet to do that. And you've got... You've got the means to do that should it come to such a dispute because of a contract that's been signed by reputable companies. So I give it back to you. However, let's say I produce $50 instead of 100 over five years. You give me a dollar, I'm producing 50 for you. I'm giving you 50, per, 50 cents back of the dollar you gave me in addition to the 50 I generated for you. Full risk mitigation, win-win. Why would I oppose that? Just on that scenario. That's essentially what the terms of this deal are. Hope that helps. We're stepping aside for a break. It is middays. Don't forget, it's Monday. We're kicking off a brand new week. That means at 12.05 today, it's Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors. It's Rhino and I solo today. We're coming right back. We appreciate you joining us in the Element Well studio. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone once again that is the great steve perry and journey why can't this night go on forever also a cut from the raised on radio album the video is pretty cool too by the way that's because it's mr perry's birthday he is 75 today wow 75 things we really need to know says gary in the berg is it El Nino in Mississippi and El Nino everywhere else with the with the little accent? What do you call that? The wave over the end? What's that called? I don't know. What's Lane Kevin doing in Tuscaloosa? No idea. 
Why are people dividing the number of jobs into the total amount of incentives and coming up with a figure per job for the EV factory? A tilde. Okay, that's right. Uh, T-I-L-D-E, is that, isn't that how you Correct. spell it? Okay, yeah. I remember that from taking French back in high school. Thank you for that. So it, it does indicate how to pronounce it, right, as a Y instead of a hard N. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's closer to a Y. It's not quite a Y, but yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Gary, yeah, they, this calculation, uh, that's really not valid because the incentive uh, is also driving and will produce $1.9 billion capital investment. And so just to divide that investment on the state's part by the number of jobs to come up with an amount per job is really not a meaningful calculation because, first, it doesn't consider the total amount of the payroll on a recurring basis. It's not like, okay, we're going to pay this much for this job, and that's it. No, it's $132 million per year. So if you if you do the math there, if you just if you just consider the investment and the payroll generated, well that's a that's a three less than a three year payback. But that's really not a meaningful computation because think about all the economic activity associated with a one point nine billion dollar construction project. It's massive. You think about all the jobs, all the payroll, all the investment in the local community, just as part of the construction process. It is incredible. That's that's what's, I think, so exciting about this. So though there is an exemption from sales and use taxes on the goods and services being procured, by the joint venture as part of the construction process, the people who are getting paid to provide those goods and services, tons of workers, subcontractors, contractors, etc., well, they're still investing those profits and those revenue streams locally to a great extent or in the state because that's where the project is. So that it's just unbelievable what a boom such a a project can be when you think of the scale 1.9 billion over probably 3 years is kind of what the expected construction period will be got my tickets on the ceasefire text line talking about journey coming to the gulf coast coliseum kicking off their freedom 2024 tour february the 9th i believe that'd be 2 weeks from friday if i'm not mistaken pamela Biloxi says love me some steve perry and journey Rhett and Ridgeland says a good move by the state would be to introduce a piece of legislation that requires new batteries on all used EVs sold in the state. Disagree, Rhett? That's too much meddling on the part of the government into the private sector. I get what you're trying to do there, but, uh, you know, that's a matter for, for buyers and sellers to, to hash out. You know, I, I can see a market for used EVs that have, of course, the original batteries on them, or batteries with limited life. I, I can tell you this, in, in the airplane, you may not be aware of this, uh, Rhino, but in the airplane world, I'm not talking about big commercial aircraft, I'm talking about private aircraft, there's, uh, there's a metric that's assigned to um, airplanes. It's called TBO, time before overhaul, and it applies to the airframe, 
in the engines. And it is specified by the manufacturer. You get to this point, you got to overhaul this thing. That's why you see airplanes on the road to up uh, on the road in the sky today. They may be 40 years old because they've been rebuilt multiple times. Well, what I'm getting to is you have to provide those in the logbooks as part of the annual inspection so buyers know, look, this is how much time you got before you're going to have to. So those with a low TBO, meaning they're about at their, their limit, there's going to be a discount associated. Those with a long TBO, you're going to pay more money. That means somebody just invested a lot to get them to that point. Faithfully, so unbelievable, the great Steve Perry. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming right back with an hour of middays. Your home for Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Middays, or you could be watching Middays because, you know, we're also on the television. And, of course, you can pick us up on the Supertalk app at the supertalk.fm website. we got multiple ways you can tune in. If you got Seaspire TV, we're right next to the Weather Channel. That's exactly right. So, we got that on, uh, as a matter of fact, here in uh, the studio. I just saw an update from MDOT. Yeah. They have the same 23 counties with reported ice on the roadways. They say four-lane roadways are mostly clear, but there are big icy patches to watch out for. Two-lane routes have some dangerous areas, too. But with the temperatures forecasted above 32 degrees today, conditions should improve. Okay. So we're going to see a lot of melting. And then the rain's moving in. Wow. With up to forecast seven inches I've in some places. I've seen that. That spells flooding in some areas, Oh, does yeah, it not? especially low-lying areas. Yeah. But you would think that the rivers and uh, the waterways are kind of low, right? So maybe that allows uh, some of the runoff, I guess, to, to that be That would accepted. just mean that the flooding wouldn't last as long. But okay. when you get that much water on the ground in a shortened period of time... It takes it a while for it to filter through the ground or get to the streams or creeks and get to the rivers. So, yeah. It's, so it's the old flash flooding yeah. situation. Yeah. On the ceasefire text line, we've been talking about this $1.9 billion EV battery manufacturing plant scheduled to be built in Marshall County, Mississippi. Beef plant and Kemper, Kemper plant have generated skepticism. Fair points. But here's what I can tell you. Had the protections included in this package been included in those, there wouldn't be a problem. Those would not have uh, cost the taxpayers the way they did. They would would not have been the so-called boondoggles that they were from a taxpayer perspective. And so it's another situation where we have learned from mistakes of the past. It doesn't mean, hey, we just discontinue the practice. It doesn't work. No, you figure out a way to fix it. So... Here's the choice, honestly. 
You can either participate and compete, or you get zero. That's just, that's a fact. That's reality. Again, I point out, we need companies to make significant investments such as this in the state of Mississippi way more than they need us. They got plenty of options. So, compete or don't. It's pay or play sort of deal. And if you don't, well, then you're never getting another dime, and we thus remain on the bottom in virtually every economic metric of the 50 states. This is the way to climb that ladder, to elevate the state on all accounts. And here's what else I think will happen is you'll have other companies that are looking at various projects, not just talking about automotive-related or EV vehicle-related, but just any projects, and they see the success and the deal that was cut in Mississippi, and they they wonder, well, why do these big companies with $110 billion of of, uh, market cap, why did they select Mississippi? Must be something good there. It sends a very strong message. It's, It's no different than if you're in the private business and a prospective customer says, Hey, give me some references. Well, now you have references. And if you don't have references that will say positive things about you, you probably ain't going to win a deal. So that's what's going on here, and I I couldn't be more excited about it. And I think there's more in the works. I mean, I know there are more in the works. The governor talked about the number of projects and the dollar value of those opportunities last week in his speech. But I, I think there's one in particular that is of significant size that uh, we'll see some announcement on, some some action on in the next week or two is kind of the way, way it's looking right now. So really good thing. Bob and Starkville said, it's a great point, Gerard. There's a county in North Mississippi that just purchased e-school buses. The range of the buses are double of the distance of the bus routes. It's structured, to your point. Appreciate that, Bubba. Yeah, and, and it, it is just different than situations that you encounter just as a private motorist where you don't always know how long you're going to be driving. You don't have a set route. I think you said last week, hey, look, if I knew that I was just going from my place of, of residence to the studio, that pretty much was what covered me. That's why I've given more than a passing glance to an EV. Because I've got a gas-powered Dodge Charger that's coming up on getting paid off. If I could find a really good deal on an EV because of my proximity to my workplace, I would charge it once a week at most and would have plenty of charge to go back and forth. Yeah. And then if I needed to take a long trip, I've still got the charger. Yeah. But to Bubba's point, as you know, in the case of school buses, it's pretty much the same route every single day. So you can plan around that. That can be accommodated. Well, that's the other thing. A lot of people are, when you hear commercial electric vehicle, you think, all right, they're going to put a battery in a big rig, and it's going to be over-the-road trucking. A commercial vehicle could be anything from a a big rig that's more than likely going to be a, a hybrid, a diesel-electric hybrid, wouldn't be fully EV, Yeah. to the little trucks you see at the airport pulling baggage yeah to a forklift i mean there there's all kind of commercial vehicles that never see highway use that never travel more than a couple dozen miles in any given week but they need a lot of torque 
And that's one thing an electric motor provides over an internal combustion engine. An internal combustion engine can give you a lot of torque at low revs, but an EV gives you all of its torque from the get-go. It, it has diminishing returns when it gets up to speed, but it has all that torque as soon as you push the pedal. That's that's a great point. And, and another great point is that there are multiple applications for battery technology for various sorts of vehicles uh, besides just these big rigs like this. And I would be shocked if they don't intend to leverage their investment in these assets to produce the same, because I suspect there's lots of similarities, certainly the same materials involved, so your suppliers, your vendors. Um, so it's just a matter of, of configuring the production line to accommodate the size and scale and application and form factor and so forth. So uh, I, I think it's I think it's just a little short-sighted, I'll say, to, to uh, again, um, attach a stigma here without really thinking about where all this is going. Now, that doesn't mean everybody should rush out and, and buy EVs. And again, I'm going to say I don't support the government offering all these financial incentives the way they have in this Inflation Reduction Act and accelerating a time frame that's just simply not practical. I don't support that. But I, I do think that, you know, we can have sort of parallel tracks, can we not? We can continue to to improve the quality and the efficiency of fossil fuels vehicles while at the same time working on EVs. We can have dual tracks. It's the same thing with our energy matrix in general, this idea that we're just going to eliminate just a a whole component of our energy sources the way we're seeing happen in lots of states where they're banning new um, gas Natural gas connections. New York, California, for example. They're they're moving well, they already have. They're banning that. And what is it? Gas gas pizza ovens and gas appliances and crap like that. No, that's ridiculous in my view. This is different. Uh it, this is uh something I think these companies have given great thought to, but again, it really doesn't matter. The state's not taking that risk. The companies are. Now, if these companies were startups and they didn't have a balance sheet, it's no different than if a bank is considering uh, uh, someone, a a potential uh, debtor, uh, for a loan. You've got to have the assets. You've got to have some sort of balance sheet, some sort of security, collateral. And what these guys have is... A market cap of 110 billion. Now, if we were loaning them, uh, you know, 10 billion, that may be a different story. This is 350 million. It's not even a loan. It's just it's uh, an investment in terms of grants and donations and infrastructure that again is subject to a clawback by companies that have very strong balance sheets. It's different than a startup, like what was it in in the Obama era, that goofy Solyndra? It was an insane amount of money that we just gave them. Well, they were a startup. They didn't have a dime. They had no assets, no history. They weren't going concerns. They weren't profitable companies with a track record. That's crazy. I wouldn't support that whatsoever. But when I saw the companies involved here, uh, I was okay with it. And there's something else about the, the Chinese minority ownership here that uh, we'll get to on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. 
middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. today that is so good the video's great too it's kind of cheesy but it was it was cheesy videos back in that era yeah pretty much everything from the <laughs> early to mid 80s had a, a good helping of cheese on it that's what made it fun that is so good thanks thanks for that donnie for pike county says my wife and i have our tickets for journey can't wait to see them again i'm with you man i'm headed that way too I'm not surprised at the amount of backlash from conservative members of the audience. This is on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. For years, they have been told by most of conservative media that EVs are part of the liberal agenda and they are a failing technology. Well, I, I think there's some discernment required here. I don't have a problem with any technology, any EVs, and, I, and as I've said before, and there may be some that just say there's no way ever, ever, that these things will become mainstream and practical. I don't know. But I do know this. There's going to continue to be work on it. There's, there are enough innovators and enough organizations with assets that see potential and see value. And it takes time to get there. Uh, part of the liberal agenda, well, that's because, again, you got the likes of John Kerry and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who's, you know, her little craziness about the yellow buses and all that crap, because they're shoving it down people's throats. And then they pass legislation to essentially bribe people to go buy these vehicles and, and electric water heaters and power panels and solar panels and appliances and all that crap. That's why. They see overstepped by government. They see what appears to be just the desire to control and to influence behavior. And I guess what bothers me, it's always you got to do without something. They never think about, hey, what can we do to not only retain our quality of life, but improve it. It's always, nope, you just got to do without that. And it's never them doing without it. Right, exactly. It's you doing without it. It's John Kerry. They'll get to have everything they want. Right. We saw it during COVID with them, you know, going out and eating $500 dinners and crap and going to the beauty shop. I mean, you just go down the list. You know, it's the rules for thee, but not for me. That aggravates people me included, to no end. If they just back off and let the market work, 
I think ultimately we get what they seek, although what they seek, I'm not convinced, is that everybody has an EV. I think they just they seek control. They seek power. What they've been doing over in Davos, it's insane some stuff they've been talking about over there. I mean, they want to completely upend Western civilization. They really want to set us back a couple hundred years. And I guess, with the exception of them participating... Ding, 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 ding. And they see... That they'll is what, still have their private jets. They'll still have their gas guzzlers. They'll still have their armed security. You won't have access to any of it. And their beef? Well, we're eating bugs, right? That's what their deal. So, because I, they know better than you do. I, I, I hate the stigma that's been attached here. I get it. I really do. And I appreciate that and respect that. But again, I, I have faith in human innovation and ingenuity to address and resolve these problems. And and I agree, it, it doesn't make sense if you have to give up something you have today that we work so dang hard to achieve to satisfy some twisted agenda. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think these companies have figured out there's a market for this. By the way, remember, the companies that, that are part of this JV, this joint venture to produce these batteries, they'll consume the batteries to put in the products they sell to companies who buy their tractors. Trucking companies, um, private companies that aren't necessarily in the transportation business, but have their own fleets and and transport their own goods. So that's their customers. That Those are the ultimate end users. Now, if those end users say, hey, we ain't buying those things, well, then that's a problem. I'm pretty convinced that They've researched that. Ford, as you guys know, they have announced they're cutting back on production. They didn't see the demand they expected uh, for their Lightning 150. They've announced that. They're letting people go. Scaling well, they kind of the oversold it. Big time oversold it, but I do that think... The first commercial where they're like, oh, if the power goes out, your truck will run your house. And it's like, that's not accurate. It's really not. Uh, but I do think that was a response to the Biden administration really pushing that agenda. I don't see this as the case. And keep in mind, they're not going to be selling these things for four years. I mean, it's, it's going to take some time, obviously, to build a giant factory like this, staff it up, train people. I mean, all of the above to, to put this thing online in production where they're producing finished goods. A lot's going to happen from a technology perspective in the next four to five years in this realm. And I think that's what they're counting on. So, But, it, again, from the state's and the taxpayer's perspective, it really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. The state is protected. Now, someone said, who was it here, uh, if I can find it, um, Rhino, that we should ask for penalties and interest. I don't know. Somebody said that. I'm looking for it right here. Um, but, so, again, I say, I point out, that we don't have the leverage. Yeah, here it is on the ceasefire tax line. I guess what people want is penalty and interest added to the clawback clause. Well, so first of all, keep in mind that if that would make sense if it was just a loan and you get nothing in return for it but interest, like a bank. The bank doesn't benefit from its debtor's investing their loans in their businesses. Bank doesn't profit from that. 
In this case, the state donating land and providing grants uh, in exchange for this company investing $1.9 billion, which is going to create a bunch of jobs and economic activity and have a massive economic impact just in the construction phase. So it's not like it's just, okay, here's your loan, go away. You immediately start getting benefit when they put the first shovel in the ground. That's different than a traditional loan where the bank really doesn't, or the lender really doesn't benefit for how the the debtor uses those proceeds. In this case, that's exactly what we benefit from. It's them, we give them $350 million, and they're going to spend $1.9 billion. That's completely different to generate economic activity and hire people and and uh, uh, produce um, revenue uh, for businesses that, by the way, pay taxes in the state and people who pay taxes in the state. But more importantly, they spend their money um, in Mississippi businesses. That's the positive benefit to the taxpayers. It's just the economic activity. So it's not quite the same. And, and by the way, if you start stipulating those kinds of conditions, you know what happens? The suitor, the investor says, okay, we're out. You get zero. Why don't people get that? You don't really have the leverage you think you do when you're at the negotiating table. Especially when, hey, look, the guys across the river there, they're not asking for that. We're going over there. That's what happens. And it's it's just not realistic, especially when you're talking about deals on this scale. It's not like we got the franchise on anything. We don't have anything proprietary. Sometimes, yeah, what we have, it rises to the top. And we have a little negotiating leverage, but it's extremely limited, extremely. Typically, we don't. The investor has the vast majority, the overwhelming value of leverage. No doubt about it. Sharon and Brandon says, what are some businesses that the state has done a similar benefit that have thrived due to the partnership with the state? Well, most recently, you could have to think about the Continental Tire Plant here in central Mississippi. The SDI uh, investment up in the Golden Triangle is another one. Uh, And then we got in central Mississippi, Nissan. Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head, Sharon. And yeah, every one of those, who who could deny that every one of those didn't produce benefit of the Toyota plant up in Blue Springs in the northern part of the state. And there's stuff in in the south and across the state as well. Um, So, but man, this is the second largest in the state's history and the biggest committed, the largest committed payroll in terms of value of payroll dollars ever for the state. Coming right back with half an hour of middays from the Element Wealth Studio. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are celebrating the birthday of the great Steve Perry, 75 today. That's only the young. The soundtrack from the movie A Vision Quest, one of the most confusing movies I've ever watched, actually. But the video is pretty cool. I give them that. <laughs> so, on the ceasefire text line, good project, says Tom and Lumberton. Do clawback provisions include the time value of money considerations? They don't. And here's why, Tom, because, again, I just want to make the point that the minute they start putting a shovel in the ground, we're already getting benefit. I hope that's I hope that's understanding uh, or understandable, because that means there's economic activity inside the borders of the state. So uh, the analogy I used a minute ago is that it's different than just a standard loan where a bank loans, let's say, a business money, and they go use those proceeds to invest in their business, uh, and the bank really doesn't benefit directly from their investment in their business. Typically, the business owner does, owners, as the case may be. In this case, the state, because the state benefits from all economic activity within its borders, taxpayers benefit, citizens benefit. That's how we're going to hopefully get off of 50th place, where we've been in virtually every economic metric since they've been tracked. So... And it's another situation, I point out. You start putting all those kinds of conditions in there, then the company or companies just say, Mississippi's not a player, not going there. And and again, I'll point this out. This is the way the process works. They'll send you a request for information, and you respond to that. And it includes, what does your incentive package look like? It's kind of like if you sent potential vendors a request for a proposal, and you may send them an RFI as well, and you and in that proposal they provide you a price for whatever the goods and services are being requested. And so in the case of a, an RFI for an economic development project, and you provide those details of what a potential incentive package might look like, and you start wrapping around that package, that sort of, those sort of conditions, they just throw that in the trash. Next! The idea here is to is to be responsible but competitive. You've got to balance that. That's how you win these deals. Let's see. Uh, time between overhaul. Yeah, so I said time before. My apologies. Talking about the TBO, uh, the TBO acronym, which applies to aircraft. Time between. I said before. My apologies. Been a while. Sold my airplane in 2008. So I have about, uh, let's see, I got my instrument rating in 1998. So about 10 years as an instrument rated pilot. I do miss it quite a bit. I had a Piper Lance. That's Piper Saratoga. And that's an example. It was a 78, 1978, you know, that we bought in 98, 20 years later. But again, because if, if you treated your car with that same sort of care, where every year you brought it in and you did a complete inspection, I mean, take it apart, put it back together, replace everything that's worn or needs to be replaced in the engine and the airframe. Now, that costs a lot of money. It's called an annual inspection. You're required by the FAA to do that because, you know, if the thing falls out of the sky, people get hurt because it's not suitable for flying, not airworthy. And by the way, the certified 
um, airframe and power plant is what it's called, mechanic that signs off on that annual inspection, their butt's on the line. Something happens. I had a friend, by the way, uh, had a Piper Saratoga as well, and, and same group did our annual inspections, very similar um, aircraft, and a wrench was left on the manifold of the engine. And uh, he heard it rattling around. Fortunately, he got the plane down. Nothing happened. Uneventful. Heard that. Knew something wasn't right. Could tell it was coming from the engine compartment. Opened it up. There's a wrench in there. Man, when he and this and I can tell you, this A and P was so methodical, so careful, so good. It killed him. I'm telling you, when he found out. I mean, but you know what? Bet that never happens again. And they have a process where they look and look and look. Uh, and somebody goes behind him, it's just a mistake, you know. Uh, but but that's the example I'm giving is if you treated your car with that same sort of, we're going to overhaul this thing, I want to say it was 2,000 hours for my model aircraft, and you got to basically do the whole thing. you got to pick the engine up, put a new one in virtually is the way it works. It's not quite a one-to-one replacement. And I, I'm off on a tangent there, but... It's uh, just just talking about EVs, and there was someone who said maybe we ought to require that um, any used EVs have uh, fresh batteries in them before the state would require that. <laughs> little little different scenario, but I appreciate somebody correcting me. Not time before, time between overhaul. If we put penalties in all of that on any company that wanted to come in the state, you might as well put up a border wall around the state. The company. It, for the company to invest that amount of money in the facility is not productive. It's the company that loses. And that's exactly why um, these provisions are, are prudent and responsible. And, and I said last week, and, I, and I'm glad that it, it turned out to be uh, accurate, which is that our legislature, MDA, our governor, saw to it that the state's taxpayers are protected with these clawback provisions. I'm I'm more uh, than pleased with the deal that was structured, and it's a win-win deal. I mean, it just is for the state and for um, for the company as well. Moe says, Gerard, what's the tail number? I want to look it up. I haven't in a long time, and I'm fixing to tell you, Moe, and announce it. It's no big deal. Um, It's amazing I still remember it, but I guess after 10 years of flying and saying it about 9,000 times over that 10 years, it's November 2064 Mike, by the way, most. That's the tail number. I found it in Columbus, Ohio. Through through, um, There's a whole industry of uh, private aircraft brokers and found it online and flew commercial to the Columbus airport and uh, did what's called a pre-buy inspection. Everything looked good, wrote the check, and uh, flew it home. Actually, I didn't fly it home. The person, I was not uh, certified at that point to fly that aircraft. The person who sold it to me um, actually flew it home, and I paid for them to get on a commercial flight back to return to their home. Uh, and then I was, so I, I learned uh, Mose and, and got my private pilot in a Cessna 172. It's pretty typical. Um, but I ultimately was checked out to fly the Piper Lance. That is a high-performance single engine with retractable landing gear and adjustable mixture and, and prop pitch and all that stuff. That's why it's called a high-performance single. It's a whole different 
uh, checkout. He just sent me on FlightAware. It says it's in Spartanburg, California. How about that? Really cool. South Carolina. South Carolina. Pardon me. <laughs> Pardon me. If I can't use duct tape, I can't fix it. I can't own it, says Andy and Jackson. Uh, glad to know I'm not the only one who's not in favor of letting beggars be choosers with taxpayer dollars, says Thomas and Greenwood. Except, Thomas, your strategy means zero investment ever in the state of Mississippi. Our population would decline. Our household income and per capita incomes would decline. Our economy would contract. We'd be a wasteland if we just said, I'm sorry, we're not playing. That's the absolute truth. It'd be great if the other 49 states said, we're not doing that anymore. And like I said, I'm the first one to be in line at the Capitol to demand that the legislature cease such practices. But as long as the other 49 states are engaged in playing, we don't have a choice. Well, I guess the choice is to not, in which case you get a 0.00. I mean, how many SEC teams do you think you would see in the college football playoff if the SEC outlawed NIL? Good point. So your choice is you either play or uh, you perish is what happens, honestly. So Moses is sending me all sorts of information here about my old airplane. Appreciate that. If we gave existing businesses those same incentives, wouldn't we see equal job growth and opportunity? Sure, Thomas. I told you, man, if you're willing to invest $1.9 billion and produce a $132 million annual payroll, I will accompany you to the capital to request incentives. But if you're just telling me you're going to hire one or two people, nah. Not worth it. And then I don't want to have to chase you down to make sure you did. There's something to be said about concentration and scale. And and I also want to see your balance sheet as well to make sure that you're good for it. No, we wouldn't. Absolutely would not, Thomas. You, you're, man, you're really don't. Honestly, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I, I doubt you've ever done any M&A, and I doubt you have any experience in just large-scale business transactions like this, because that's not how it works. It's called Money Talks and BS Walks. We're coming right back. Final segment on Middays. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. With the journey to us today, we appreciate that, Rhino. That's because it's the great Steve Perry's 75th birthday. Thomas says, let's pass legislation offering to existing businesses and see if they can belly up to the table, include your limits to make it worthwhile. The problem is, Thomas, how do you know that wouldn't have happened, that you're just giving money out for something that was already going to happen? Hey, look at me. It's kind of like the dumb PPP program, right? You pay people to keep employees they were already going to keep. That's the problem. This is a brand-new project that ain't coming. 
And so there's, there's got to be some discernment there. Um, no, that and, and by the way, there, there are opportunities like that available. And there's nothing preventing, by the way. You don't have to have legislation. There's nothing preventing any business in the state to approach, let's say, the Mississippi Development Authorities, where you should start. Hey, look, we're thinking about uh, an investment to expand and to grow our Mississippi business. What can you do to help us? I guarantee you they'll talk to you. It's not like it's off the table. But you're going to get somebody's attention with $1.9 billion. I don't know why that's getting lost here. We're not talking about hiring a couple of people or building a shed in the back. And no disrespect there. But that doesn't have quite the impact that $1.9 billion and $133 million annual payroll does. It just doesn't. Not even close. Ben from Madison says, I remember when the state flag issue was being debated and the lawmakers who opposed retiring the old flag saying the windfall of economic projects were fantasy. It sure seems like the change has helped or certainly hasn't hurt. I can tell you from personal experience and being involved in economic development now, um, serving on the board, honored, privileged, blessed to do so, of the Madison County Economic Development Authority, it made a difference, Ben. I can tell you that we lost projects uh, in the past as a result. Gary in the Berg says, I love Gary's uh, golf analogies. He says, Green's committee is the best job experience. <laughs> Survive that, and you can do anything. Uh, I believe you there, Gary. I, I served as the Green's chairman out at Annandale for three years of the Green's committee. And, Gary, that was back when we hosted the uh, professional tournament would would come to town, and it, it was played at Annandale before it shifted over to the Country Club of Jackson. Uh, it's a lot of work, Gary. I can tell you that the PGA would come in um, several times a year, and I'd have to ride the course with a PGA official, and they would just make all kinds of recommendations and do all sorts of testing about the uh, the consistency of the bunkers and the speed of the greens and the way we were shaping the fairways and the road. I mean, they they get into a lot of detail, and that was your responsibility as a greens chairman to do that. Of course, a lot of stuff they want to do, that's great for professional golfers, but for us amateurs, no, nah, we ain't doing that. <laughs> we're not making these permanent changes, you know, for the, the tour that really would make the experience a little less pleasant for the members because we ain't as good as they are. Oh, <laughs> well, I've heard very similar, says Ben from Madison. I proudly stood in line in 2020 to vote in favor of our new flag. Uh, let's see here. Something else. Uh, don't forget Terry McAuliffe and the Chinese car company in Tunica. Oh, yeah. So I was going to say something about that before we get out of here. I know that some folks have expressed their reservations about this project because there is a Chinese private company that will have a 10% stake in the joint venture, and, and they have concerns about that. I, I, I don't. Um, if they had a controlling interest, I would. But they have a minority interest. They essentially have no power. I'm not, and I've heard people say, well, we need to do what Arkansas has done um, because they have recently enacted legislation that does prohibit, uh, it does restrict ownership by Chinese companies. Let me report, because I did some review of their law. Let me report that this project would not have violated the law in Arkansas because it requires that, that China or a Chinese company 
have a controlling interest in the project, in the investment, meaning greater than 50%. And, and so this project would have been allowed in the state of Arkansas. I don't know the details. I wouldn't be shocked to find out we competed with the state of Arkansas. And don't forget, Arkansas is home to Walmart. You think Walmart has some Chinese relationships? Uh, Just a few. Not only, don't forget, Walmart changed their personnel policies after the Dobbs case, where they will actually pay for their employees to travel to states where abortions are allowed if they live in a state where they're not. Remember us talking about that? Well, we are out of time here today with more Steve Perry. That is from the solo album there. Appreciate your uh, your work there, Rhino. We are actually, I'm off tomorrow. I'm headed to Jones County to speak to the, the Laurel Rotary Club. Looking forward to that. I think Richard Cross is filling in. Thank you, Rhino, for that. I'll be back with you again on Wednesday. That'll be when we can review the New Hampshire primaries. A lot of fun that's going to be. Until then, thanks for joining us. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.